Hi, you've just downloaded or otherwise accessed a podcast of Cross Point Church and the teaching ministry presented through our weekly Sunday morning worship. Feel free to burn a copy of this file when you're finished and pass it along to a friend you think might also benefit from the teaching. We hope you enjoy the message today, and thanks again for taking the time to visit. All right, class, pencils down on your desks. We're about to have an oral quiz. Um, uh, I want to. I want to show you some symbols, some icons. I want you to. See, and you can just shout them out if you know what they're associated with. Uh, I want you just to, to shout out loud enough for everybody to hear if you if you know the answer to these symbols. What's the? Throw the first one up there, David. AT and T. All right, good. Next. NBC. Pepsi. Pepsi. Shell oil. <laughs> yeah. It is a shell. Yeah, there you go. United Airlines. Nike. Chevrolet. Ladies. Yeah. Coach. Now, this symbol actually has some, some hidden meaning behind it. This one and, and actually these last three do. Um, the the uh, th- this is of course on the back of a of a dollar bill, and it's as you can see the with the all seeing eye there on the top of this pyramid. It's Latin for annui coeptis, which means he favors our undertakings. Uh, as as back as far back as our country's founding, uh, there were there were these and there are these iconic iconic symbols as well in Washington D.C. In, in various monuments. Um, but that's and then the, the the one under that is is novus ordo seclorum, which is new order for the ages. Uh, it's literally what it means. These two Latin phrases are, are, are printed on our money, in in, in a slight and, and bent reference to God, uh, with with his the, the symbol of of his all seeing eye over looking over all of us. Um, this next symbol is another kind of symbol with hidden meaning. It's it was in the early church. Um, as as Roman oppression was taking place, and basically Rome was, were conquering the world, uh, not only the Middle East but, but the entire world, the known world at that time, and so as they captured uh, the, the world and, and made everyone subject to Roman rule and subject to Roman power and influence, the threat to that was Christianity, uh, because they couldn't control these radical Christians that were out sharing their faith with other people, and so many Christians in that day and age were put to death. Uh, the, many in the early church were put to death for their faith and scattered really all all across Europe at that time, or what's now Europe at that time, uh, Asia Minor. And so there grew out of that this this symbol. Some of you may have it on the back of your car or on something else. Grew out of this symbol of the fish. It's taken from actually five Greek symbols, which which in their entirety spell out ichthys, which literally means Jesus Christ, our God's Son, our Savior. Now. As believers would find themselves meeting up with each other, either casually or, or on purpose, um, this one the, the common thing to do would be one believer, either on the ground or in, a, in their home or someplace, would take their finger and either in the dirt, right the top, draw the top arch of this fish. And if the other person was a Christian or a follower of Jesus, they would they would draw the bottom to say, "You're in safe company. I'm no threat to you." Now, <laughs> sadly. Many are, are still, we still see our Christianity in, in a secret place, in a, in, a, in a kind of a guarded place. Uh, today, at least, as far as, as far as I know, unless I've heard something different, it's still, we're still free to share our faith with folks. 
in our country. We don't have to use hidden symbols anymore. But I want you to see this last symbol, and, and really it, it, is the more, it is the more obvious symbol of our faith, and that's the symbol of the cross. Um, as I've shared with you the last couple of weeks, um, it is, it's not as pristine, it's not as, uh, as regal, it's not as, 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 as awe-striking for many as, as it is and as it should be. Um, however, in its humility, it speaks to great power, and it speaks to, to really a more missional emphasis for us in our lives. So I want you to, I want to see today if we can kind of reclaim the symbolism of the cross and the fact that it's not just another icon. It's not like the shell. It's not like the AT&T globe. And yet when people see it and, and look at it and recognize it, whether it's around our necks or whether it's on our cars or in our homes or, or wherever it's displayed, when people look at it and see it, what does it say to them? Does it say, yeah, it's another symbol. It's another, it's another icon. It's another app. <laughs> it's, another, it's, it's, it's something else to look at. Uh, but other than that, it's, it's really meaningless. If that's the case, and I would submit to you that it is, at least in part, in our culture, if that's the case, that needs to change. People, when they look at the cross and see the cross and, and us displaying it, uh, there should be a story behind it, just like there was a story behind the fish. Just like there's a story behind most icons that are created. Some, somebody sit down and study. What will it take to get people's attention to where I can sell my company with just a symbol? No words. I can throw a symbol out there and everybody will know who that is, what that's about. That should be true of us as believers. And I, I, I challenge us today to, in a lot of the scripture we're going to look at, we're going to look at four different passages of scripture today. So you'll be, you'll be doing, this is Bible drill day. You're going to be going back and forth in the scripture to, to, to find these. But, um, and they'll be on the screen, of course. But um, I want you to see today how this kind of unfolds and the symbolism, the powerful symbolism that the cross had then and still should have now. The first being 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 17 and 18 <coughs> says this, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It is the power of God. The crosswalk is a reminder of the power of God. That's exactly what it is. Paul, Paul alludes to that specifically and indirectly, both in both forms here in, the, in these, these two verses we looked at in 1 Corinthians. To us who are being saved, the Scripture says, it is the power of God. To us who are being saved, who are going through the process of salvation, that began with a, with a prayer to pray to receive Jesus into our heart. But as that salvation is growing and being lived out in an active way in our life, it is, he says to us who know him, who have a relationship with him, it is the power of God. The cross is the power of God. So while we can't deny the saving power of the cross, um, what I want you to see here, and, and I think he alludes to that in, in these two verses, the keeping power is even greater than the saving power. Now, those of you who have played football or know anything about football know that it's easier to catch a pass than it is to hold on to a pass when a 250-pound linebacker is smacking you in the, in the chops. It's far easier to catch it than it is to hang on to it. Ladies, I think you would probably agree with me that it's far easier to birth kids than it is to raise them when they're teenagers. Um, the, 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 some of the birthing pains are forgotten when you're, when you're trying to raise teenagers. You're saying, help, you know, what do I do? What, how, how do I make sense of this? It's harder. Parenting's harder than, it, than giving birth. Yet giving birth is hard at the time. But so this keeping power of the cross 
is even greater than the saving power of the cross. The redemptive work of the cross, we're going to look at that next week. It's powerfully redemptive. But the redemptive work of the cross is extremely great, but even greater is its power to keep us, its power to hold us, to keep us intact where we need to be. Um, He says in verse 17 here, uh, God didn't send me to preach to to, to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom or eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied. He's saying here that the messenger here is, is meaningless, and to, to, to those who are lost, the message of the cross is foolishness. Yet, when we realize that and know him personally and, and have by, by, by faith the relationship with him, it becomes for us this symbol of power. Otherwise, it's, it's meaningless and it's foolishness. But to us who know it, who have been saved by it, who have been who have been redeemed from from our sin, it is this symbol of power. Secondly, the crosswalk not only reminds us of the power of God, but it's a picture of humility. It's a picture of humility. Turn to to uh, Philippians chapter two, and I want us to see here verses five to eight. This this picture of humility, Philippians chapter two, verses five to eight says. Is that right? Yeah. In your relationships with one another, have the same attitude of mind as Christ Jesus did, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to our own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a human being. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Now, notice here in this last verse that he is not subject to death. He is obedient to death, meaning that he, he didn't, by, by nature of his own sin, death was not the, out, the ultimate outcome of his life. It's going to be the ultimate outcome of our life as a result of sin. We can blame Adam for that and Eve for that in the garden. The, the original sin filtered down generationally to all of us, and we are all, because of that, sinners. The ultimate payment for sin is death, the Scripture says, but he was totally different. He didn't have to die. He chose to die. He wasn't subject to death. He was obedient to death. Obedient to what? To the plan and will of his father that he die for the redemption of man. So, uh, and, the, and, the, and he says here in the last phrase, even death on a cross, not just obedient to death, period, and, and death figuratively, but death literally. And that's just to say, even, even death on the cross, even the most inhumane, cruel death that one can experience in that day and time, and good grief in our day and time, we look at, we look at news stories now of, of shrouded uh, 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 Islamophobe radicals with, with machetes beheading people. And as, as, as gruesome as that is, it doesn't compare with the cross. <laughs> it's not even close. As, as gruesome as it is and as cruel as that is, and it is that, and, and, and it's, it's bizarre and it's cowardless. I mean, it, it's, it's spineless and cowardly. As gruesome as that is, there is no comparison with the cross. In fact, the, 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 the one's death on the cross, oftentimes it didn't in Jesus' case, but oftentimes it took days for, for men or, or, or those to die on the cross. And even to the, to the fact that they were left there, oftentimes even for days after they died, and as gross as this sounds, the birds would come and feed on them. Now, that wasn't the case with Jesus because he was lashed 39 times before he ever walked to the cross. Usually... That those beatings would kill a man, and so the cross was not was not followed up on in, in their case because the beatings did the job. In his case, though, he survived the beatings, carried the cross uh, down the Via Dolorosa, uh, was nailed to it, slammed it in the ground, and he hung there for about six hours. 
until he died. And so this this idea that, that it is somehow, if you look at, and please please hear what I'm saying, this is opinion now. This is, this is not from God, this is from Tim, and I'm going to tell you that straight up. If you look at the cross as some kind of uh, pristine, clean, neat example and icon of your faith, I challenge you to look at it in a different way. I want you to see the, the earthiness of it. I want you to see the grittiness of it. I want you to see the pain associated with it. I want you to see the, the, the splinters uh, that, that, that likely was driven into his back and into his arms and hands as, as he was nailed there. I want you to see that. I want you to feel a little bit, you know, um, the vernacular of, of, of young people and kids in our day is, is, do you feel me? Are you feeling me? And I'm, what I'm hearing in these verses, he, he's saying here, say, death, even obedient to death, even death on a cross, are you feeling me? Are you with me? Do you get the fact that this is, this is gruesome and, and there, is nothing, there is nothing regal about this? Consequently, it's a picture of humility. This, this picture on the cross is a picture of, of him giving himself sacrificially and willingly, humbling, humbling himself to, to become uh, the fruition of God's plan of redemption for man. So, if that's true, and it is, and if he is the model, and he is, are we to walk in humility? Yes, we are. In fact, what I think these verses scream is there is no room in the Christian walk for arrogance or pride. There's just no room for arrogance in in our faith. There's no room for pride in our faith because the cross reminds us that as he suffered, so too shall we. As he humbled himself and became obedient, so too should we. And so this idea of, of, of pride or arrogance in our faith, there's no room for that. It is not only a symbol of power, but the cross is a symbol of great humility. I don't know if we walk that way most of the time, but we should. We're called to. That's what he showed us and what we're, what we're called to do. Thirdly, though, the crosswalk is not only a reminder of his power and a picture of humility. Colossians speaks to this. Uh, it's uh, Colossians chapter 2. It's a statement of victory. Um, Colossians chapter 2 Verses 13 to 15 speak to this. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. I'm sorry, wrong verse. Uh, When we were dead in your sins and in your uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the statement of indebtedness with its particulars that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. Now, this scene here in, in Colossians, Paul is painting for, the, for these Colossian believers, is a courtroom scene. In fact, if you've ever let, read a legal document, lawyers have a way of going on and on and on and on. And sentences, you know, will sometimes look like a paragraph because there's 15 commas in there. And that's kind of, it's, he forgave us, the first, the, he forgave us all our sins, having canceled the statement of indebtedness with his particulars that was against us and stood opposed to us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. So <clears throat> here is this, <clears throat> Paul's, and Paul was, had a legal mind. In fact, it was very astute legally of the law. And he begins to reiterate, and, and, and here's another phrase, and another phase, and another meaning, and, another, and, and he goes deeper and deeper. He, our, he canceled our debt with all its particulars and all that comes with it and all the, all the fallout and all the repercussions of our disobedience. He's saying to us, you stand in this courtroom totally guilty. Now, the, the beauty of this story is, uh, and, and of these three verses, is this. We were guilty, now we're not. 
and that's as simple as I know how to put it. We were guilty. We stood guilty. Now we're not. The only difference there is the difference that happened at the cross with God shed blood for our to, to pay our sin debt. Now, here in these verses as well, he declares us, he forgave us all our sins, having canceled the statement of indebtedness. In essence, he's saying, you are innocent before me. There's a difference in a courtroom of innocence and acquittal. Acquittal means you could have done it, but there's not enough evidence been presented. The court doesn't know enough to, to put you away. The possibility still exists that you're guilty, but the prosecution, those bringing the accusing, have not presented enough evidence to put you away. Acquittal is totally different from innocence. Innocence says, you never did this at all. Matter of fact, you weren't even there. You weren't even in a part of this process. And that's the very thing that he's saying there to say, you came into this courtroom guilty. Every one of us walked before him guilty. Yet, because of the cross and our indebtedness being cleared, he looks at us as totally innocent, having never, ever, 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 ever sinned. Did that blow your mind? To know how you are and to know that God sees you totally different than how you really are. To know that we have a sinful nature in walking before him in disobedience. Not on purpose, but we do that. Yet he sees us through a bloodstained lens that says, you've never, ever, ever, ever sinned. Not in my eyes. That's a forgiveness that should blow you away. It should, <clears throat> and it will next week. It's going to... I want you to. We're going to look at this at this idea of forgiveness and redemption next week, and, and the power of, that the cross communicates that. But what he's saying here is is this that ought to move you. It ought to move you that you you stand guilty before him. Yet he looks at you as as as, as being totally innocent before him, all because of what happened at the cross. And the cross is this statement of victory. It's what he's talking about here in Colossians two thirteen. It's a statement of victory. Um, and he says here t- he, he took our sins and nailed them to the cross. And that's just to say, that's done. That's a done deal. Don't revisit this. Don't allow the enemy to regurgitate it. Say, look at what you were. Do you remember here? Do you remember what you said here? Do you remember what you did over here? Do you remember this decision? Do you remember that behavior? Do you remember this attitude? Do you remember that argument? Do you remember this, this failure? He said, all that's been nailed to the cross. Don't allow the enemy to regurgitate this over and over and over and over again in your life, in your mind, in your world, in your experience, in your walk. That's done. Don't revisit that again. That's been dealt with. There's, a, there's some finality to that statement of he takes our sins and he nails them to the cross. And we should live with that sense of victory as well because of that, because of that truth. Um, yet, <laughs> we don't. We hang on to, the, to those kind of things and we walk around, many of us, in bondage because of guilt and, and, and we're believing the very lie that the enemy has started and nurtured in us over the years to say, this is who you really are. And I don't know that's who you say you are. That's who you're telling everybody that you're... you're you go to Cross Point Church, you're, you're a goody-goody, you're doing okay. But here's who you really are, and you and I both know it. And he regurgitates that crap over and over and over and over and over, and we believe it. We don't get the imagery of, of our sins being nailed to the cross and left there. And he is seeing us as a totally innocent child, never having ever, ever sinned. I'm going to tell you that's revolutionary. If a believer can see themselves in that light, they will not just try, but they will live and walk in victory. The reason you and I live and walk in defeat is we believe the enemy and we believe the lie that he's feeding us over and over and over again. So we can, um, we can ultimately walk in victory instead of defeat and, and, and in victory instead of bondage. And in victory, really alongside elitists in our culture and mockers in our culture that says, you know what, you weak Christians who need a, who need a faith, who need something to latch on to, that's fine. You guys just keep that in your churches. Just keep that in a tame, secured place and never let that penetrate our culture. 
Never let that penetrate relationships. Never let it penetrate where you work. Never let it penetrate a school system. Never let it penetrate your friends. Never let it penetrate conversation over dinner. You just keep that in church. Keep that to yourself. Keep that in your house. Keep that in your little prayer closet, and everything will be okay. He's saying here, no, 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 no. We live victorious because of the cross, not intimidated. We live having won, not having lost. We live as innocent before him, not as those who stand guilty and should be ashamed. We live in victory because of him. Fourthly, the crosswalk is a symbol of substance. And this is, is really you know, where I want us to, to kind of drive home the, 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 the reality of this message. Is, is the cross really symbolism or substance? And yes, it's both. This is the real answer here. It's both symbolism and substance. Look at what he says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. This is Paul speaking. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. May I never boast except in the cross. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. What's he saying? He's saying the cross is what I'm most proud of. The cross is what I want to most be associated with. The cross is what I want to most be identified with. Now, he's not... He is indirectly talking about the Christ of the cross, but he's talking about the symbolism of the cross, the cross itself as, a, as an icon, as a figure, as a reminder, as to, to say something, diff- something happened here. Something happened on a cross that, that changed me. It changed my future. It changed my destiny. He visited me on the road to Damascus, totally changed me, changed me from the inside out, did surgery on my mind, surgery on my heart, totally recreated me, made me a new creation and a new creature, and I get that, and I'm Consequently, I'm crucified to this world. In essence, to say this world has no hold over me, it has no bond on me, it has no lure for me, it has no draw for me. I desire the cross. I desire to be associated with it, to be identified with it, to be seen as as belonging to it and it belonging to me. Um, this world neither owns me nor defines me, he's saying here. Uh, it's, that's that's I, I've, I've crucified this world. I've put it to death in my mind and in my heart. Paul says this in another way in Romans 1.16. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. His association with the cross and the gospel are, are, are synonymous here, and I think we, we we're wise to draw that symbolism together. Um, wedding rings are a symbol of, of, of a love for somebody that you're agreeing to spend the rest of your life with. And, and they don't, they don't say I love you necessarily, but they, they symbolize the love that we share and the, and the, and the bond and, the, and the, the agreement we have to walk together in love with each other. Um, and they're, they're, they, they, we wear them for that very reason, to, to, to symbolize that. We don't wear them to, that, they, that, they make us any, that they make us love any better because they don't. They're just a piece of metal. But we wear them as a symbol of love for someone else. And I think that's what Paul is saying here to say, to say I'm most proud of the cross. If I'm going to boast about anything, I'm going to boast about the cross. I'm going to boast in the cross, he says. I think we need to reclaim the power of the symbolism of the cross in our culture. I think it needs to move beyond just being another icon, just being another piece of jewelry, just being something else that's, that's plastered on a, on a sign or on a wall or on a church steeple. or on a. It needs to go beyond the mundane to, to have at least to us some fresh power. That as we wear it around our necks or on our keychains or in our cars or displayed in our homes, it means something. It's not just a, it's not just a piece of metal or a piece of wood or a piece of, or, or a sticker or a, it means something. It says to us, "This is who I am. 
It defines me. It says to us that that reminds me of the power of God. It reminds me that I need to walk in humility with him in this world. It reminds me that I live victorious with him. And it reminds me finally here in this last point that it is, it is a symbol of substance. It's a reminder of that. It tells me that it's, it's bigger and deeper than just, than just a piece of jewelry or just something hanging on a wall. Uh, I want to help you reclaim that today. I, I, I brought a, a bag of crosses. And if you don't have a, a cross to throw around your neck or to put on a keychain, I made a bunch of these for you. And, and just come get you one after, after church is over. I'll pour them out here and you can grab them. Um, and they are, they are regular, they are, they are irregular and imperfect by design. I mean, I cut these out and put these together, uh, or, or kind of shape these to, to where there's, there's some, and it may be part of my craftsmanship, but there's some intentional flaws in these things. And I, and that's by design. So I don't encourage, I, I wouldn't come up and grab the worst looking one if I were you, unless you want the worst looking one, you, you're welcome to whichever one you want, but I want you to, I want to help you reclaim the symbolism. Whether that goes on a keychain or around your neck or or, a, or, or in your pocket that as you pull out change every day, remind, here's who I am. That's who I am. I'm not who this world says it. That's who I am. He's defined me. I'm not defined by the by the fact that my last name is is White or Hummer or I'm defined by who he says I am. I am his. I belong to him. He's redeemed me. He has claimed me. He owns me. And I belong, and I, the best I know, I want to live for him. I want to walk with him in the power. I want to walk with him in humility. I want to walk with him in victory. I want, to, I, want this, I want this to mean something. Beyond just being an icon and a symbol like any of the rest of these, that we know what, the, what business it's associated with by the fact that we know what it looks like. It should mean something. It should be, a, it should be, a, uh, it's, it should be deeper than just a, a piece of jewelry or, as I say, a sticker or, or, or some kind of symbol that is... That's, that's gathered meaningless uh, influence over the years. It ought to matter. Um, boy, it ought to matter in us. And I, I, I want to help you reclaim that. I want to. I want to encourage you beyond these little crosses to 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 make investments of those things and display them in your homes. Um, here again, this is not from God. It's from Tim. Get the fish off your cars. They speak to a secret faith. Be proud of who you are. Stick something on the back of your car that that proclaims, "This is who I am." This saved me. This this redeemed me. This is, um, and I connect with with the Jesus of the cross. It's not that fish are evil. Don't don't take it that far, and 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 don't don't do the, do that just because I said so. Do that if the Holy Spirit leads you to do that. But we need to we need to we need to regurgitate some of the symbolism of 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 our faith to where it matters. Uh, you know, and I'm not talking about you know coming into a church where where furniture and trappings and things are important. I'm talking about something that changed you. And the cross changed you, if you know him. It's changed you. It's changed you for eternity. And that needs to matter, and it needs to, it needs to be reflected in how we live. So here's three kind of action points that I want to challenge you with as we leave and, and, and we'll be through, and that's this. The crosswalk says, or, so, or should, says, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of who I am. I'm not ashamed of who I know. I'm not ashamed of the decisions I make. I'm not ashamed of him. That's what the crosswalk says. Um, it says I'm proud of the cross. I'm proud of the fact that I belong to him. I'm proud of the fact that it's redeemed me. I'm proud of the fact that it means something to me. I'm proud of that. That's what the crosswalk says. Secondly, it says that life's not about me. And I think he, he spoke to that in, in this chapter, in this passage in Philippians to say, it is not about me. It's about him. 
My life is not about bringing me glory. It's about bringing him glory. My life is not about me being seen. It's about him being seen. So consequently, if my life's not about me, whatever's around my neck and on my car and in my home, it needs to be a reflection of who he is. It shouldn't bring attention to me. It should bring attention to him. My life's not about me. That's a hard lesson for this culture to get. I'm going to tell you, it's a hard lesson for most believers to get because we're so self-consumed with, or perhaps you're not, but I am. My biggest problem is myself. My, my, my problem is me. Thirdly, uh, the crosswalk not only says I'm ashamed and life's not about me, but it, it should say this is who I am. This is who I am. I'm not perfect. I've got problems. I've got issues. I still sin. I, 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 I'm going to fail. I, I, I'm not all that. I get it. But this is who I am. I am who I am, forgiven by him and redeemed by him. I'm going to fail. I'm, as I say, I'm going to fall. I'm not perfect. But I'm, I'm going to do my best to say I'm identifying, just like Paul said, I'll boast in nothing but the cross. I'm identifying with him. I'm identifying to say this is the symbol of who I am, of, who I, of whose I am, of who I belong to, and how that's changed me, how it's caused me to see life in a different way, how it's caused me to see marriage different, how it's caused me to see parenting different, how it's caused me to, to handle money different, how it's caused me to, 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 to look at friendships differently. It's changed everything. And the cross does that. And so it should reclaim maybe the power it once had for you or in you and has been lost. It should reclaim in, a, in, in, in the, you know, I've, I've answered this question several times um, over the years. In, in why cross point? Where did that name come from? Because the cross is the point. Everything else is meaningless apart from that. The cross is the point to our faith. It's the point to our life. It's the point to our world because it points to the redemption of man. And that's the story that, that our crosswalk needs to tell over and over and over and over and over again. It needs to matter to us, and it does. And it, it needs to shape us, and it should. And so would you, let it, would you let it grow in your life to be something beyond a symbol? Would you let it grow to be something of substance to where it matters? Again, when you look at it, uh, it's... It, it takes your mind someplace that you normally don't go. It takes your mind back. It takes When I look at a cross, it takes my mind back to a tent revival where I trusted Jesus on a, on a straw floor on a, or on the ground. It, the cross, look, looking at it should take us places. When I see it on the back of somebody's car or around somebody, it takes me somewhere. Looking at a cross should take you to a place in your faith that you're, you want to revisit often over and over and over and over again. It should have that kind of effect in us. I don't know that it does anymore, but boy, it should. And would, would that start with us? I mean, could that start here today and, and relationally grow from where we are and who we are into, into other relationships, into, other, into friendships, into other people at Crosspoint, into other people from Crosspoint to other churches? Could that start and grow with us? It needs to matter more than it does. Uh, I, I hope this scripture today and the Holy Spirit using it challenges us to where that changes. Let's pray. Thanks again for listening to today's message from Crosspoint Church, helping people navigate the journey toward an authentic, biblical, and contagious walk with Christ.